There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we get into all the news of the week with Keith Idex, senior writer with BoxingScene.com. We've still got some fallout from the Canelo Alvarez, Billy Joe Saunders fight. Will Billy Joe Saunders ever fight again? Plus some news about Joseph Diaz's return. And where are we with the state of Anthony Joshua against Tyson Fury. I'll get into all that more with Keith Eideck. A little bit later on, Josh Taylor. He's got a big unification fight coming up on May 22nd against Jose Ramirez. I talked to Josh about a set of circumstances that almost saw this fight cancel. You don't want to miss that. Plus, Taylor's thoughts on Billy Joe Saunders' injury and who he would prefer to face if he beats Ramirez. Teofimo Lopez, the 135-pound champion, or Terrence Crawford, who has a belt at 147. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to the show. Ever been ringside and got blood on you? All the time. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was really embarrassing. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, a lot to get into this week. Fresh off the Canelo Alvarez super middleweight unification fight against Caleb Plant. We've got some news potentially in the 135-pound division. And what the hell is going on with Anthony Joshua in Tyson Fury? Trying to sort it all out. Let's bring back Keith Eideck. Does a great job covering boxing over at BoxingScene.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Boxing. He was ringside on Saturday. Saw you. Keith, you're like the only guy that'll get me like to... You know, come out of my my shell when I'm trying to 
like work on a broadcast. As I see you walking by, I just start yelling at you from the side. Like you're the only guy to get me to do that. I, I heard you. I heard you. <laughs> I think I think you were yelling at me for having a mask on. I, I might have been the only person out of seventy three thousand one twenty six that had one on. But I I didn't want to get yelled at. So the, you know. I think you were one of the few that had a mask on in AT and T Stadium. Before we get to anything else, I mean, what was your um, the atmosphere at that fight? I mean, I, I said to somebody, for me, Ruiz Joshua won was the best atmosphere I've been at in, say, like the last five years. I mean, Pacquiao Mayweather, uh, right up there. Delahoya Mayweather, right up there. Hatton Mayweather, right up there. But, you know, put into context for me just the uh, the atmosphere you felt. Uh, you've been to a lot of fights. How did it compare? Yeah, I don't think that I've ever experienced anything quite like it from a just from the sheer size of the crowd, Chris. I mean, you know, it, it was an indoor record for American boxing, 73,126. Um, so I've never been in a, I've covered some fights in Europe where they had f- close to 60,000 or so, but, uh, but never a crowd that big for boxing. Cause I, I did not cover the uh, Joshua Klitschko fight live or uh, Frotch Grove or anything like that. So it was the biggest crowd. Uh, and I've been, you know, as you well know, as you have also covered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fights, but never, never a crowd that big. And the atmosphere was pretty incredible and, and a memorable night in the sense that, you know, Boxing doesn't get to enjoy those types of nights, uh, certainly not in a pandemic, uh, to have that that kind of crowd and that lively of a crowd there to support a fighter that they obviously love in Canelo Alvarez. It, it was pretty incredible. And, you know, when you're in the moment, Chris, oftentimes, especially when you're on deadline and, and of course, yourself calling the fight, you don't, you, you know, you're not appreciating it as much in the moment because you're focused on the task at hand. But when I was on the plane the next day and, you know, the last couple of days, I was like, man, that's going to be something that you look back on, you know, forever, really. It was especially because it was the first sign that we're really coming out of the pandemic uh, where you had a crowd of that size. Um, You know, the biggest crowd for any American sporting event since the pandemic began, which is also noteworthy, I think. No question. Um, And one of the ways I would put into context is that, you know, I was at the two Pacquiao fights um, when they were at AT AT&T stadium, I was at Canelo versus Liam Smith. I felt this event blew those away, not just in terms of attendance, which it did, but just the energy of the crowd was just different. I mean, Pacquiao was a star when he was fighting back in the early 2010s, but you know, Canelo's fans bring a whole different level of energy. And he has so many more fans than he had what six, seven years ago when he fought Liam Smith, uh, in that building. I mean, he, yeah. that, that to me was, you know, and, and I, look, you felt this at the garden when Canelo fought Rocky Fielding there, and it was an intense atmosphere and you felt it at previous mm-hmm. fights against Golovkin and others. But this was just another example of just how big a star Canelo Alvarez is. He's one of the few mainstream stars in boxing and last night or Saturday night was evidence of it. Yeah, absolutely. Chris. And, and I, going back to the Rocky Fielding fight, you know, the crowd was about 20, it was a sellout crowd. 20,000 plus or so. So the crowd was about a, a little less than a third of the size that we saw on Saturday night because the building's much smaller. But one thing I remember from that fight is how much uh, Canelo Alvarez in this case, or you know, other fighters in, in different instances mean to people. Like you, sometimes you lose sight of it, you know, when you're covering boxing every day and you're, you know, you're grinding it out and you're going through the business part of it and everything, you sort of forget sometimes how much these someone like Canelo Alvarez means to a guy, you know, like a dad in Texas who has, who doesn't get to go to a lot of fights and was able to afford tickets for this one and brought his family or, or his wife or his girlfriend or whatever. 
And it really is something that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. And, and you see just the passion that they have for, again, Canelo in this case. And, and it's pretty incredible that people really care this much because I, I don't know that I care about anything that, that much anymore. <laughs> and just to see people, I mean, all kidding aside, I mean, to see people just that passionate about whether Canelo wins or loses and them kind of, you know, uh, figuratively living and dying with, with what happens in the ring, um, it's pretty incredible to see it. And, and again, it, you know, you, you get a good reminder of it sometimes. And Saturday night was another reminder of that. And he unequivocally is the biggest star in American boxing. I guess Anthony Joshua is the only person maybe to rival him worldwide. I know there are some big stars in Japan also, but I don't think the crowds would be quite this big to watch them fight. All right, so let's just uh, move forward here for a bit. It's been a few days since that fight. Not that I expect Keith to have any kind of plan in place for Canelo Alvarez uh, for his fight in September, but you know, if that, the dust has set a little bit, um, what kind of feeling are you getting? I mean, I guess best way to phrase, best way to phrase is how confident are you that we will see Canelo against Caleb Plant in September, or do you think this is going to be? more complicated than people would hope it would be? Well, complicated is the right word, Chris, and that's what I asked Eddie Hearn in the post-fight press conference. How complicated do you expect this to be? Now, he's not going to say publicly it's going to be extremely complicated. That would serve probably no purpose for him. But he knows as well as anyone does that it is going to be complicated. I don't think that that it's going to be anything that will prevent the fight from happening because Caleb Plant is – simply not going to walk away from this type of payday, this type of opportunity, because as much as everyone talks about Canelo Alvarez going for the undisputed super middleweight championship, that same opportunity presents itself for Caleb Plant, who could win the three titles from Canelo Alvarez. And it's an enormous amount of money. It's life-changing money. So I can't see him walking away from it, but I do think that it'll be complicated in the sense that uh, Caleb Plant has a lot of leverage here. Canelo Alvarez has made, has made no bones about the fact that this is the only fight that he wants next. When you repeatedly say that publicly, you know, you're, you know, you're giving some leverage away to the other side. Plant and, and Al Heyman and Louis DeCubis, they know that Canelo needs them. Now, whether the fight winds up on zone or Fox Sports pay-per-view or both, uh, because they've shown Canelo's pay, uh, fights on pay-per-view as well, so I could see it being available both ways. Still don't quite get why people would pay $70 for something that you could pay $8 or $20 for, but there are people doing that. But nothing, nothing, no, nothing in boxing I like more than like network nuts, like the ones that are like, it's got to be on pay-per-view because I insist on paying $80 for it instead of subscribing to that damn zone. You know what it is, Chris, and it's weird because the way it's been explained to me by people I know who are doing it is that there are older people usually that don't want to be bothered with learning the technology. And I try to tell them like, look, I'm not the most uh, tech savvy person in the world. I mean, you, you know that as well as anyone, right? But I could figure out the zone. It's not really all that complicated. And, and what I would, and these are not people who are stealing the signal or anything, you know, stealing pay-per-views. These are people paying, you know, it's a little less because it's on the zone also. I think it's been like 60, 65 bucks, but these are people paying, more than three times the amount that they would have to pay to watch a fight. I, I don't, again, I don't know why you would do that, but there are people doing it. So there were a lot the of shorter- people doing it the last time this Canelo uh, right. last pay-per-view or yeah. Canelo, uh, Billy Joe Saunders, they did a pretty healthy number. I, I hear uh, on pay-per-view buys. Yeah. It, it's, 
but it's amazing that you hear people complaining about pay-per-view and then you have people paying three times the amount to watch this on something on pay-per-view. It's crazy, but there are people doing it. So I, again, I think it'll be on both. I think it'll be, see, the reason that I think it could get complicated is because Al Heyman is not just going to try to get Canelo Alvarez to fight Caleb Plant next. He's going to try to get him to fight Caleb Plant next and then, David Benavidez and then Jamal, you know, he's going to try to offer him. He's a free agent. He's not only a network streaming service free agent. He's also a promotional free agent. Now, Al Heyman's not a promoter as we all know. Right. But, but he's going to, the PBC is going to offer him a multi-fight deal because he's the biggest star in boxing. And if you can convince him that he will make as much or more money on the pay-per-view platform that he would make on DAZN, it might be something that he explores. Now, the, the ultimate question I think will be, Chris, is that d- does he want those fights against David Benavidez and Jamal Charlo? I'm not saying Canelo Alvarez is afraid of anyone. He's clearly not. But are those the fights that he wants after Caleb Plant? Because I, I would expect him to beat Caleb Plant and convincingly. Uh, so does he want those fights or does he want to fight um, Dimitri Bivol, like stay on the zone side of it and, and and fight Dimitri Bivol, and there's other fights there that can be made for him as well. So what does he want to do after he fully unifies the 168 title? Yeah, um, I don't think there's any chance that he doesn't work with Eddie Hearn again. Now, that doesn't mean he won't go cut a deal with PBC, but regardless, I think Eddie Hearn's coming with him. I think that that relationship has evolved to the point where it's not as strong, obviously, as Canelo and Eddie Reynoso, but it's right behind it. Like, I mean, Canelo's decided that's his guy. Um, And, you know, you you could see in some of the YouTube videos afterwards how appreciative Canelo was for the work that Eddie Hearn has put in over these last two Mm -hmm. fights, the money he has invested, uh, the the entrance walks and all all the theatrics and the bells and whistles that go with it. You know, putting together an event that drew the record-breaking crowd. Obviously, Canelo is the one driving it, but, you know, somebody's got to put these pieces in play, and Eddie Hearn did a really good job at that. So I think, Keith, we could easily see Canelo decide to do a three-fight deal with PBC. I do think Eddie Hearn will be his promoter, though, for those fights. And that's, I think, where it becomes complicated, Chris, in the sense that uh, they do have a very strong relationship, and I would expect them to work together moving forward because he really does seem to have an, and he really likes Eddie, I think, personally and professionally, especially with what he's done in these last three fights, promoting these fights for him. Um, but if he is his promoter uh, and it's and it's a PBC three-fight deal, well, Eddie Hearn is not going to be the face of the whole operation like he is now. So, look, you know Eddie as well as I do. He wants to be the face of the operation. So is is he going to – I don't know what his role would be. Would he be up there with him running the press? I, I don't know. I mean, those are details that they have to iron out. But that's where I mean it could become complicated, where egos get involved and things like that. And, um, you know, ultimately it's going to be about the money. But I do think that those little things – and that's not a little thing. I mean, you know, because is, is Eddie going to be the promoter of a PBC event and, and run the press conference? Mm. Al doesn't want Al Heyman doesn't want promoters to be front and center, which is why you know Tom Brown is a, is a perfect guy for what he does because Tom's a low key guy and and does you know all the behind the scenes stuff and is fine with not really being in the spotlight. Eddie's not fine with not being in the spotlight, so you know so and that's not a knock on him. He's a promoter I and mean, that's what he's supposed to do. But it 
it does bring a different dynamic to these negotiations. Though. Why do you think that PBC and Al Heyman are like that? It, it would strike me that having a vocal promoter is a positive for the promotion. I mean, Bob Arum has been as vocal as they get for decades, and he has put on some of the biggest fights in boxing history. I understand that fighters drive the events, but promoters have real value. I mean, God, you and I, Keith, have both... I mean, I give Eddie credit. Like, whether it's you or me sitting down to talk to him or some dude with a camera phone. Like, he is spending just as much time on each interview. Yeah. He is uh, incredibly patient when it comes to this stuff. I, I feel like that, that's that's a valuable commodity for a big fight promotion. It is, and he's tireless in the sense that he's crisscrossing the world every other day, it seems like, and he and he really is good. Look, there are times when he when he's bullshitting us. Yes. You know that as well as I do. I mean, but he's a boxing promoter. That's what he's supposed to do to some degree. So... So him and and Bob Arum and guys, you know, they're they're, you know, they're they're fun for us to deal with sometimes to call them out on their BS and, and they know they're BSing us and all that kind of stuff. But but Eddie, you know, Eddie does his job. I mean, he he goes above and beyond to promote. Like you said, he's pretty uh, generous with his time. No matter if it's a, a YouTube channel with five thousand subscribers or you know, DAZN's announcer, such as yourself, it, you know, he's, he's a very uh, generous guy with his time and, and he gets it. Like he, he understands how, and he's a young guy, younger guy. He's in his early forties, got a lot of energy. And, and um, you know, Bob is almost 90 and he has an amazing amount of energy for an 89 year old person for sure. But, but Eddie is, you know, he's just trying to outwork people and out hustle people. But um, so I think promoters in that sense serve, um, you know, a real purpose and function for the event and for the fighters that they represent. I would prefer that model as opposed to not really having a promoter front and center. But as it's explained to me, because obviously Al and I are not talking every day, but as it's explained to me, Al wants the fighters themselves to get the attention. So that's the business model that he's created. It's clearly worked and it just, you know, to, financially it's been successful. So you know, the fighter, the fighters are happy. They're making a lot of money. They're getting a lot of attention. And I don't, I never really got the sense though, that fighters were, if, if Lou DiBella were promoting the event, which he did for Al Heyman for a long time, I never got the sense that fighters were annoyed that Lou was getting attention or anything like that, but it's just the way Al prefers to do business as opposed to the way Eddie does. No, I'll be honest. I think Canelo specifically enjoys that Eddie's front and center. Um, it, mm. it saves him from doing some of these interviews and, if we're being honest, that's kind of what he thought was lacking with Oscar De La Hoya. Like, he didn't believe that Oscar was as front and center as he needed to be to promote his shows and to build it in the biggest possible way. So I think that's what Eddie has going for him, specifically with that relationship with Canelo. But we, we'll move on from that. We'll talk about Canelo, I'm sure, a lot in the coming weeks and months. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders, he had surgery to repair multiple fractured bones in his cheek. Um, I think the question is now, Keith... Have we seen the last of Billy Joe Saunders? He went on social media this week in a very brief statement and said, I'll be back. Eddie Hearn has cast some doubt about it. He said, look, Billy Joe made a lot of money, you know, reportedly in the seven to $8 million range for this fight. Uh, he has been to the mountaintop now. He tested himself against the best. Will he want to go back down to earning, you know, a million dollars, maybe less for some of the fights that could be coming his way in the next couple of years. Um, what do you think the future is for Billy Joe Saunders? Well, he's a, a relatively young guy, Chris. He's 
of course, coming off a very serious injury, and it would depend on how his face recovers, how the fractures recover. But we have seen guys like, you know, Kel Brook, it's happened to him twice on each side of his face. We've seen other fighters, you know, uh, Inoue had a, had a uh, fractured orbital bone and has come back and has been fine from it. So assuming it heals the right way, I mean, he should be able to fight. Your question, of course, is whether he has the, the drive or the desire to fight again. And I don't know. I mean, he, he did make a lot of money. For, the way it's always been explained to me, he's been very smart with his money. He's not, you know, he's the money that he's made even before fighting Canelo. He's invested well and he's done well with his money. So um, I, I think he'll probably, if I had to guess, I think he will fight again just because he's too young. And I don't think he would want his career to end the way that it did on Saturday night on his stool, not coming out for the ninth round. And he's hurt. He's already heard a lot about that. Now, you can't fight with three fractures to your orbital bone. You can't continue like that because, I mean, you'd be risking permanent damage and uh, doesn't make any sense. But he brought on a lot of the criticism himself by a lot of the patently stupid things that he has said over the years, including most recently about Daniel Dubois. Um, so, but I think some of that stuff will motivate him to come back to show that he can still be a high-level fighter. There are fights out there for him now, the lower-level fights he was never able to get up for, even when he was chasing a fight like the Canelo fight and the biggest payday of his career. Always, He's been so inconsistent in terms of fighting up and down to the level of competition, it's kind of tarnished his legacy to some degree But and in the ring. and uh, But, the, but the, the one fight, and this is going to make you happy, the one fight that's still there for him because no one wants to fight Demetrius Andrade, as we found out at the post-fight press conference when Canelo Alvarez told him to get the fuck out of here, you're a horrible fighter. Demetrius Andrade still doesn't have anybody to fight. Um, and I don't think in that he's going to fight probably late in the summer. He told me, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of fight that's going to be, but it's not going to be a big fight. Uh, he's still going to have trouble getting Golovkin or Canelo or any of the bigger stars into the ring. And he and Billy Joe Saunders do have this rivalry. It, now, Billy Joe Saunders is not going to fight for quite some time. So Andrade will clearly have to fight in between then. But maybe they wind up rescheduling what was supposed to be a middleweight title fight in October 2018. It's a fight I think people would be reasonably interested in, at least, if nothing else. I agree. Um, and I think Billy Joe Saunders will fight again. And I think he can get back to a championship level. I mean, Billy Joe Saunders, when Kel Brook broke his face against Golovkin and subsequently went out and broke it again, it sort of emphasized that he's kind of this... I mean, he's a warrior. Kel Brook gets into some scraps. Like, he's, he's a physical fighter. Billy Joe Saunders traditionally doesn't do that. Like, he is one of the best defensive fighters in boxing. So, once your face heals, and if you get comfortable enough, you know, in sparring and in training camp, that you can get back into the ring, we're not going to see Billy Joe Saunders go out there and just sort of fight these all-out wars in subsequent fights. Like, he is going to be what he is, a defensive-minded fighter who tries to score with the jab, uh, you know, pot shot you a little bit with the right hand and win fights by decision. That way, you can do that. You can bounce back that way, and quite frankly, you can win big fights. Like, you might be able to beat a Demetrius Andrade fighting like that. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens in 2022, I don't expect Canelo to be the undisputed 168-pound champion all through 2022. I think at some point, those belts will fragment once again. I can easily see Billy Joe Saunders getting back into that mix and claiming a title uh, somewhere along the way. He's only 31 years old. I mean, it's a frustrating right. time. Give him six months to heal, get him back in the ring for an easy tune-up, and then by mid-2022, at the latest, I think it's very possible we see Billy Joe Saunders in a big fight. Hell, I don't even know. Like, Callum Smith probably moves up. 
to 175, I would guess. But if he stays at 168, that's a pretty big fight between Billy Joe Saunders and Callum Smith, a big domestic fight over in the UK. So I'm I'm optimistic yeah. Billy Joe Saunders uh, will return and get back in the world title mix pretty quickly. Yeah, and maybe even he moves down to 160 True. because he has said numerous times that he's not really a 68-pounder. So if he can put in the work to make 160, you know, he, that, that would be – he could fight for the middleweight title that he won, that he was stripped of or gave up or whatever when he failed the PED test. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I, there are definitely options for him. And it, look, even though he lost the other night, he didn't disgrace himself in any way. I mean, there's some crazy guy I know who had him winning fight even going into the. Hey, how you doing? Round, so. Nice to meet you. Chris Maddox, Sports Illustrated, own Good stuff. Um, Hi, Twitter. No, but all I see you. I see you, Twitter. <laughs> You guys, the the uh, the outright ire. Just a brief aside. The outright ire over a scorecard is wild. Okay, you see a fight one way, great. Okay, I went back and rewatched it. I give the fourth round to Canelo. I screwed that one up, but other than that, it whatever. I think some of it's defensible in rounds five through seven, and the sheer outrage of some people over a scorecard is wild. Take a deep breath, have a drink, go do Chris, something else. Chris, the, Chris, that is boxing Twitter in a nutshell. You know that you can't. You know. <laughs> I mean, all kidding aside, I mean, I had him. I had it six rounds to two for Canelo, but there were some close rounds. I could see it five rounds to three as well. But but the point is, is that Billy Joe Saunders, he fought an, in my opinion, kind of an odd fight. I expected him to be better defensively and to just be better technically overall. I mean, I don't know why he wasn't exactly, but um, but he didn't disgrace himself. I mean, he was reasonably competitive until his face got broken apart. So I mean, you can't continue fighting after that. So I don't know what people. You know, other than the things that he had said, you know, before this fight and many other instances, I, I don't know what people are expecting yeah. really. But he didn't get blown out. He didn't get. But he he was much more competitive with Canelo than Callum Smith was, and Callum Smith was also an undefeated, one hundred and sixty eight pound champion going into the fight. So um, he let his hands yes. go. He let his hands go more than yeah. more than yeah. most recent Canelo opponents. Right. More than Kovalev did. More than Callum Smith yeah. did. Um, he took some chances out there, and look, the chance he took throwing that big looping, what was it, left hand, or I think maybe it was right hand, uh, got him caught with that uppercut. So, you right, know, right. you take chances, sometimes you get something big coming back. But I said this last week, uh, or on Monday to Coppinger, like, one thing to remember about Canelo is that he doesn't blow out opponents on the scorecards. His scorecards in wins are really, really close, and part of that is because he spends some of these rounds setting a guy up. And when you do that, mm-hmm. sometimes you leave yourself open to losing the rounds because the guy's a little bit more active. I don't mind a 6-2. Like like I said, 4, 5, 6, and 7, close rounds. All three judges and myself gave um, Billy Joe the first round. Largely was Canelo didn't really do anything. Second and third, clear Canelo rounds. Eighth round, clear Canelo rounds. 4, 5, 6, and mm-hmm. 7, you want to shade them to Canelo? More power to you. I shaded three of yeah. the four to Billy Joe, whatever. And by the way, it ended in a knockout. Who gives a damn? All right? <laughs> Right. No. Yeah. There was no controversy. That's probably the best thing that happened on Saturday night, Chris. We came away from it with no controversy because if the fight would have continued going the way that it was going and Billy Joe Saunders is building some momentum and there are some more swing rounds, then then you have people saying that maybe it's a draw or Billy Joe Saunders won the fight or what, you know, if it continued going the way that way. So at least we had a decisive conclusion. Um, you know, he didn't get the type of knockout that he would have liked, of course, like he did against Kovalev who, as you alluded to, Chris, the Kovalev fight was really close. I mean, one of the judges had it even going into the 11th round, and I think he was at 96-94 in the other two cards. And, 
you know, a lot of the same people who are running around saying that Canelo Alvarez is unquestionably the pound for pound champion uh, without question. I mean, Terrence Crawford shouldn't even be mentioned in the same breath with him are the same people that will tell you that Canelo, that Sergey Kovalev was shot going into that fight yet. He was even on one of the scorecards. So you, which is it? I mean, you know what I mean? So there's, there's some gray area in, in here is what, is what I'm saying. And, and then he was close with relatively close with Billy Joe Saunders the other night. I'm not saying he doesn't have a, you know, a, obvious argument right. to being unquestionably the pound for pound champion, but you know, there's been a couple of close scorecards lost to Golovkin in the first fight. Are we going to, do we have to give Canelo the, remember when Lomachenko was making people quit? It was Nomaschenko. Like that's two in a row that Canelo has basically had retire on their stool. Well, like, no mas well, I don't count. I don't count. I don't count Yokurin because he didn't belong in the ring with Canelo. So I don't want to give him too much credit for that. Team Avni. Um, yeah, I don't want to give him too much credit for that one. But for this one, I mean, look, look, I mean, Billy Joe Saunders has never been beaten yep. anything. He hadn't been beaten at all, and he hadn't been beaten up in any of his fights, really. So that you know, it's the first person to do that to a fighter who's considered elusive, and he that wasn't the same Billy Joe Saunders that fought David Lemieux. Cer- you know, certainly wasn't as elusive or as good defensively in this fight as he was against David Lemieux. Canelo has a lot to do with that because he ain't David Lemieux. Yeah, but you know, but he did something to Billy Joe Saunders that no one had ever done. Yeah, the the David Lemieux comps not great. I mean, David Lemieux, fine fighter, world champion, always will give David Lemieux credit for getting in with Golovkin when no one else would. But yeah, mm-hmm. speed, accuracy. Oh, totally. Yeah. Entirely different. No, it's a much more complete fighter. But, you know, I went and watched the during fight week last week. I, I watched the whole fight again. And Billy Joe Saunders was a mate. Lemieux's limitations had something to do with it. But Billy Joe Saunders was amazing in that fight. Yeah. But clearly the best performance of his career. Mm-hmm. No question about that. Um, all right, let's move on to a couple quick things here. Uh, reports this week, Mike Coppinger at The Athletic first reported that Joseph Diaz Jr., former 130-pound champion, he is going to take on Javier Fortuna at 135 pounds at some point in July. Uh, Fortuna, of course, was scheduled to face Ryan Garcia this summer. Garcia, as most people listen to this podcast know, had to pull out of that fight. He is taking some time off. Before then, Fortuna was trying to get Devin Haney in the ring, so he's had some bad luck over the last uh, year or so. Now he gets what I think is a reasonably big fight with Jojo Diaz. I mean, Jojo Diaz is a pretty decent name. He's a former world champion. Uh, and now, and, and this, I think, is going to be a pretty compelling fight between two guys that while Diaz is moving up, you know, they share kind of physical statures, both around five foot six. Uh, I like this fight a lot, Keith, uh, if it comes together. What do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting fight. I think Fortuna is underrated to some extent. And, um, you know, a lot of people think he beat Robert Easter Jr. in that fight that they had a couple of years ago. Um, and and for his sake, at least this fight is coming together because he's kind of gotten the short end of it here with not getting the Haney fight. Then, you know, Ryan Garcia having his personal problems and having to withdraw from their fight. At least Fortuna is getting a real opportunity here. You know, Joseph Diaz Jr. is doing the right thing, moving up to the lightweight division. He weighed, I believe it was 133 and a half for his last fight. If you're, if you're doing that at a weigh-in, you need to move up which is what he's doing here. Um, and it's a good fight. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a really good replacement. People aren't as excited about it as Garcia because Garcia is, you know, pushing being a mainstream star with all of his social media platforms and all that stuff. And obviously he's coming off the biggest win of his career against uh, Luke Campbell. So, so there's not as much buzz about it as if he were fighting Ryan Garcia, but 
it's a pretty good replacement. Particularly, I mean, it's the best fighter that that Golden Boy has in its stable around those weight classes to put in there with um, with Javier Fortuna. So it's it's a it's a good fight. It's a reasonable replacement for for Ryan Garcia, and um, no, it, it it should be an interesting fight. I think you you know you said something there about Diaz moving up. Do you think he should stay at one thirty five? Because I don't think he's big enough. I mean, you look like Fortuna is almost the perfect one thirty five for him. Because he himself was a former 130 kind of coming up. Yeah, he's a small He's a small. I don't know guy. if I want to see Diaz against Devin Haney or Ryan or any of those taller 135s that populate the top of the lightweight division. Yeah. That that feels like a bridge too far. I mean, I, it's, I'm fine with him taking this fight at 135, but I think the smartest thing for his career is to go back down to 130. Look, he, he admitted he did not take training camp for that last fight seriously. It's why he blew the weight. I'd like to see him take that training camp seriously, get back to 130, where I th- still think he can be a player for a world title in that division. The only question I would have, Chris, is is if he didn't take the fight seriously, that's obviously on him. But then how would you trust him to take another 135, 130-pound fight seriously? He was the defending champion. He had everything to lose going into that fight with Rockamoff. Why would you not tr- – what? You're in a great position. I mean, you win the, you beat Rockamoff. You're in position to get a unification fight to make the most money that you've ever made, and you just decided you weren't going to train the right way. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that exactly. So I don't know that I would. I agree with you in terms of size. He belongs at 130, probably more than he belongs at 135. But he isn't getting older now, and maybe he just can't make the. You know, maybe he's just saying I didn't take it seriously as his rationale for it happening the way that it happened. And maybe he just can't make 130 anymore. I don't know. He obviously he made it for the seven farmer fight when he won the title, but um, I, I don't know that I would trust him to be honest. I mean, I guess that's, you know, if he says he can do it, I mean, you kind of have to, if golden boy would have to take him at his word if he wants to go back down to 130. but who's going to fight him. Why would you fight? If he doesn't have the title, yeah. it much like Jamel Herring or Jamel Herring saying, Oh, I'm going to give up the title and go fight Oscar Valdez. Why is Oscar Valdez going to fight you without your title? That's the value that you're bringing to the fight. Otherwise, you're just a, you know, maybe to a lesser degree than Joseph Diaz, a tough southpaw to fight. Why would you fight him? Yeah, maybe you find your way back into that 130-pound title picture, whether it's the IBF belt, which is going to be contested at some point. But I I agree, that belt is currency, and you've got Mm -hmm. to have one to make those big fights happen. I, I I guess my willingness to give Jojo Diaz the benefit of the doubt stems from the fact that I mean, he had just moved up to 130. Like, he had outgrown 126. So, I mean, that would be a pretty fast maturation if you're outgrowing 130. I mean, it's funny saying give him the benefit of the doubt for being lazy and not training for his fight, but I'll I'll say maybe that's an aberration, and he's able to get to 130 with a serious training camp um, the next time around. Lastly, Keith, do we have any more optimism or pessimism about Fury and Anthony Joshua as we sit here recording this podcast, because it seems like every day I click on your website, boxingscene.com, and Hearn, fight getting closer. Warren, no, it's not. Aram, dead in the water. Hearn, we're at the goal line. It's just like one headline after another that makes your head spin about this fight. It is a vicious cycle that we are in there for sure. But uh, I, I would say if I had to lean one way or the other, I would say I have more pessimism about it now because why is it taking so long? Now, Eddie Hearn's answer, which he has given to me, you, and countless other people, 
is that this is, you know, this is a deal unlike any other in terms of the amount of money that's at stake for the site fee. It's taking a while to paper it the right way. And, but he's, but he's been saying that for quite some time. So at a certain point, either the fight is happening or it's not the money's there or it's not. And I think that's the point that, you know, Frank Warren and Bob Arum are at because they're going to have to take Tyson Fury in a different direction. Uh, pretty soon if you don't have the fight solidified because the fight is now, uh, if it were to happen on August 7th or August 14th, which are the two dates that Eddie Hearn has publicly acknowledged he's, they're looking at, it's about three months away. So you want to get it finalized, promote it, let the guys train, come to Saudi Arabia, how many ever weeks in advance they would have to get there for the fight and then go from there. But you're, you're starting to run out of time now, I guess is the point. You know, when this was in, in the beginning of March, when it was like, Oh, well, we got to dot some eyes and, cross some T's. Okay. You have a couple of months to do that. You don't have a couple of months to do that anymore. So it's either going to get done very soon or Tyson Fury is going to push top rank and Frank Warren to get him another fight. Now they're, they're pushing him to be patient because there's so much money at stake here for everyone involved. And Tyson Fury of course would make five times as much to fight Anthony Joshua as it'll make to fight someone else. I mean, he doesn't have a mandatory due right now, but, um, but whoever he would fight, he's going to make a lot less money. And 10 times he does not argue. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And he doesn't want to take less money. So in that sense, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, get me the fight tomorrow. Or I'm, I'm fighting someone else. And then say, well, I'm not going to take that to fight someone else. You know, you have to wait it out a little bit, but again, I think the thing here, Chris, to keep an eye on is they are starting to run out of time. And if they don't make some progress here in the next week or so where it's actually finalized, I think, you know, Tyson Fury is going to start looking for another opponent. What do you think that – you think it's next week? I mean, we keep kind of pushing the deadline out there. But you're right. Uh, if, you're, if, you're talking yeah, August 14th, if you're talking August 14th being like the last day that you could have this fight without completely changing up the entire game plan, that says like, I don't know, first week in June feels like maybe you have to have this done by maybe earlier, yeah. I guess. We're in mid-May. See, see, the thing that I don't know, Chris, and because we're in the pandemic and there are travel restrictions True. in the UK still and all that, I don't know what kind of promoting they're going to do for it. So maybe that part of it is out the window. You don't need to go on a, on a U.S. tour and, and obviously uh, big press conferences in the UK. And maybe they're just not going to do that. So that buys mm-hmm. them some more time. But these guys need to get into camp and to start training for, for this fight. I mean, all, all this negotiating and all that stuff at a certain point, these guys need to focus on training because again, they're going to have to get there a couple, probably a couple of weeks in advance. So while that counts as training time, it's not normal training time. So they might want to, they, they're going to want to be in camp by the end of this month. I would think I can't see any way that they wouldn't. And, that, and the end of this month is, is coming, you know? So, so they're, yeah, they are. I don't think they're out of time, but they're running out of time. Yeah. Well, I'm starting to get some real Mayweather Pacquiao vibes to all this. It's like deja vu. It's like, oh, we're almost there. Oh. <laughs> and they're only 31 and 32 years old. No, please, you know? God, don't let us be talking about this in five years. Uh, Keith, always good to catch up, man. Thanks for joining me. Same here, Chris. Anytime, man. When we come back, my conversation with Josh Taylor. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. 
or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, on May 22nd, one of the biggest fights of the year, Josh Taylor against Jose Ramirez, a fight a long time coming, the unified, undisputed 140-pound championship. That fight is uh, on ESPN and will be out in Las Vegas. And Josh Taylor joins me right now. What's up, Josh? How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, I'm just um, out doing a little bit of uh, shopping at the minute. Uh, just got a bit of a day, a day off today, so just doing a little bit of shopping and uh, chilling out. So you're out there in Las Vegas I heard there were some issues a few weeks back about you getting to Vegas. Some talk about maybe you going through Mexico and, you know, Bob Arum finally steps in and gets gets you and your team out there. What happened with that? Yeah, well, um, we had just heard we were due to be flying out maybe on the Friday uh, on the 22nd, I believe it was, of April. And um, on the Monday of the, the week we were flying out, we got hit with, oh, you're going to have to go to Mexico for two weeks. Um, and quarantine somewhere in Mexico, goes to train in a gym there. Then after two weeks, you have to jump on a plane and come to Vegas. Um, and I strictly says, no, shove it right up your ass. Um, because if that's the case, you know, the fight's not on. The fight's not on, you know. I says, if that's the case, you're going to ask Ramirez to go train somewhere else for two weeks and then fly on a plane and then come back and go to a, a three different time zones. You know, um, I says, no, I says, I, I, I'm a champion here as well in this fight too. And... Um, 
you know, I, I want to uh, even playing field, not getting thrown about from place to place. You know, so um, I said that if that was the case, I had to go. I wasn't fighting, so um, we got we got we got it sorted. Uh, Uncle Bob stepped up to the plate and got everything sorted uh, in the good. So uh, it's all good. But we're here now. It was, wasn't much of an issue, but. Um, I was putting my foot down and saying if that was the case, the fight was getting postponed, you know? Yeah, so you were ready to, to walk away, at least temporarily, if, if that didn't get resolved, right? Yes, 100%. I'm here to win this fight. I'm here to, I'm here to win all these belts and I'm here to make history. I'm not here to just to compete. I'm here to take over and win. Um, and I want a, a level playing field. I'm not getting hit with, oh, you need, to, you need to go to Mexico for two weeks. The week of, I'm supposed to be flying, you know? Um, if that was the case, they should have told me weeks and weeks ago and I could have been out in uh, Mexico a few weeks earlier before I was supposed to come. I would have done it, no problem, but not hitting it with me at the last minute. You know, I says, no, I'm not fighting, I'm pulling out. Uh, I'm a champion in this fight too. It's got to be on a level playing field. So we got it sorted in the end anyway. So I want to talk about your fight this weekend, but I want to get your take on what happened last weekend between your countryman, Billy Joe Saunders, Canelo Alvarez, um, Billy Joe uh, could not continue after the eighth round. What did you think of the way that fight played out? I thought it was a very close fight. I myself had it even um, going into that round, and um, maybe even possibly Billy Joe won up. Um, but I had, it, I had it certainly had it even. It was certainly a close fight. Um, I thought Billy Joe won the first round, and then Canelo took the next couple, and then Billy Joe come back into the fight, and I had it even dead even after six. Um, so I had I had to fight even, but then obviously uh, Canelo caught Billy Joe with that shot. Billy Joe, um, I thought, was dipping down to that side quite often, um, and obviously Canelo figured it out and uh, he caught him with with a, with a monster shot. And obviously you've seen all the, the damage that he's had done to his face. There's no way, absolutely no way, that he, he could have continued with that. You know, um, he'd been risking his health and his life if he had continued with a, with an injury like that. What do you think of the people that have criticized Billy Joe, uh, most specifically because he had a lot of things to say about Daniel Dubois after Dubois had the same type of injury? Well, listen, it is what it is, but that, that uh, injury, I mean, he had four cracks in his bone. He's, he's, basically, his eyeball was resting on his cheekbone, you know. His, mm. his eyeball was hanging out, but essentially, you know, it was four cracks and four plates. A pretty horrific injury, so um, there's just... There's no way. Maybe Billy Joe would have went back out. You know, his, his corner pulled him out at the end of the day. It wasn't It wasn't him that says, no, I don't want to fight. It was his corner that pulled him out. Um, ben Davison, my coach, and also Mark Tibbs made the decision not to put him back out, which is a, which was the right decision because they had a duty of care. And uh, Billy Joe had already proved that he was, he's at that level. He wasn't out his depth. He was, it was a very competitive fight. I had the fight level. So he didn't have to go and prove his bravery, you know. He, if he had got hit in that, if he had went out again um, after getting an injury like that, and, and then got hit in the eye again, it, it could have, it could have blinded him, you know. He could have lost his vision and, and things like that, you know. So um, he had proved that he was he's world class and proved that he belongs at that level. So I think it was the right decision. Yeah, I mean, a great event last Saturday, and you have a great event coming up on Saturday uh, yourself. I mean, boxing, it, it feels like, Josh, boxing needs more fights like what we saw last weekend and what we're going to see next weekend with you and Jose Ramirez. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, it's good for the sport. You know, it's not um, it's not too often you get these big, massive uh, unification fights. Um, I think it's good for the sport. They're, have, they're happening more often now. Um, and I think it need, it's a trend that needs to be continued to keep the sport alive and keep the sport um, interesting and for the fans to keep it interesting. I think there's um, there's too many of these regular and super belts and all that going about. I think that, that needs to be taken away. It needs to be just uh, less belts and less champions so it keeps the sport more alive and more authentic. Would you ever fight for a secondary belt, one of those you know, interim, regular-type belts? Well, listen, if, if I was in the position of coming up and coming through the ranks, then yes, because it, it advances my position in the ranks. You know, then it's not the fighters' faults. It's not it's, it's the organisations that are creating all these new belts and creating all these new champions and franchise champions and all that. It's, it's just diluting the sport too much. There's too many champions to keep up with. You know, there should be only one, two champions in every in every weight class. You know, it's a... Uh, that's my opinion on it but you know yeah. as a fighter if there's an opportunity to fight for a belt you're going to take it you know so you have said that and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing you here but you have said basically you do everything better than Jose Ramirez why do you believe that I just do simple as I just I just do I just believe I'm a better fighter than him in every department um, I can fight better than him I can box better than him I can fight in the back foot I can fight in the front foot I can fight at distance, I can fight at short and mid-range, the feet work, my timing, my speed, everything. I, I do everything better than I'm, I believe. And, um, you know, I'll have to go up there and, and prove it on May 22nd. What kind of fight are you expecting from him? Because Jose is very good, but he does a lot of the same things in most of his fights. He tries to make them physical, he comes at you. What kind of fight are you expecting from him? I'm expecting a, a tough fight. I'm expecting a very fit and strong uh, and aggressive Ramirez. You know, I'm expecting the best version of him. Um, he's a very good fighter, you know. I'm not going to um, bad mouth him and disrespect him because he is a very good fighter, and you know he deserves respect. So um, I'm expecting the best version of Jose Ramirez. You know, he's he's got the chance to become the first American Mexican fighter to be to become undisputed champion, as well as myself. I've got the opportunity to become the first Scottish person to do it. So. Hmm. Um, it's a massive fight for the both of us and the two of us are going to be going in there and uh, giving it our all, you know, and leaving it all in the ring. What would that mean to you? Because we heard Canelo last weekend talk about the importance of him becoming the first Mexican undisputed champion. To become the first Scottish undisputed champion, what would that mean to you? It means the world to me. Um, you know, it's, um, to be the first Scottish four-belt um, undisputed champion is uh, a massive, massive piece of history. And the first... And the first person to do it since my fellow countryman Ken Buchanan, you know, is uh, who's also from the same town as me, same city, and uh, you know, it's just it's just an unbelievable story. But in terms of personal achievement and uh, you know the titles to win that is massive. It's a massive piece of uh, history to be made and to cement my name in the legacy books and the history books. You know, so it means everything to me. This was a fight that has been delayed a few times because of the pandemic. Do you feel like you're, I mean, do you feel like you're in better, you're better prepared now for it than maybe you would be a few months ago? Or would you have been better prepared months ago for this fight? I've been prepared for this fight anytime it would have happened. It doesn't matter if it happened 18 months ago, but it should have happened. I'd have beat him then. Um, and I'm going to beat him now. I'm, I'm an even better fighter now, so... Um, I believe I'm going to win this fight 
tenfold. You, you know, there's, there's no doubts in my mind I'm winning this fight. So I've always believed I would, I would beat Jose Ramirez. So there's there's no absolutely no change in in that respect. You're going for the undisputed championship at 140. Is this your last fight at 140? No, I don't know why. I don't know why people keep saying that. Um, you know, I've I've never come out and said I'm going to be moving up to 147 or anything like that. I make the weight pretty comfortable. Um, but you know, if I win this fight, you know, if and when I win this fight, um, there's not much else proven to do at the weight. You know, so we just see what comes my way and see what opportunities arise and see what comes. You know, um, I don't know why people are always automatically assuming that um, this is my last fight at 140 because I make the weight comfortable. Um, so there's no there's no rush for me to jump up weights or even go down weights or anything like that. You know, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. So I don't know why people are assuming this. I think people say it only because of what what's there at 147 and that being Terence Crawford. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a, it's a massive fight, you know, and there are massive fights at 147 there. You know, it's it's a it's a great division, basically, hugely um, a huge pool of talent, a huge pool of massive fights. You know, but there's also other massive big fights at 140 there as well. So um, we'll just wait and see what happens. What what's a more appealing fight to you, Terence Crawford or Teofimo Lopez? Terence Crawford, hundred really? percent. Well, he's he, he's unified the belts. At, my weight class, he was the last person to do it, you know, and he's been up to 147 and he's trying to do the same, you know, so it's a, it's a massive fight. I believe he's the best pound-for-pound pound fighter outside Canelo at the minute, so um, I just believe it's a, it's a massive, massive fight and, uh, you know, I just think it would be a great fight. He's, he looks like he's struggling for a dance partner at the minute as well, so, yeah, I'd love to fight him. Well, first up, Jose Ramirez, massive fight on May 22nd. Josh, good luck on the 22nd, and uh, thanks for joining me, man. No worries. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review. You know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at First, first listen. listen. 
This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 